Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. To know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. This is a quote of the Athenian moral philosopher Socrates. I understand knowledge of self as the basis for truly understanding ourselves and a tool and inspiration for self-mastery and self-growth, which can benefit not only the individual, but overall society. My guest today is an advocate and expert on self-knowledge. Joe Cohen says of himself that he won the lottery of bad genes. From childhood, he suffered from diverse types of inflammation, digestive problems, fatigue, depression, and anxiety, amongst many other health challenges, which doctors were not able to fix. The lack of help and information inspired Joe to learn everything he could about how to improve his health. On his healing journey, he became a biohacker and created the ultimate resource for biohacking and optimizing the self, his platform, Self-Hacked, which led to his next endeavor, the biotech software platform for DNA-based health research called Self-Decode, which uses advanced AI to analyze your genes and helps people to understand and use their personal genetics in order to reach their health goals. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the Superhumanized podcast. I am really psyched to talk to you, not just, but especially because you are such a leading voice with regards to biohacking. Welcome, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. Something I would like to know from you is what is biohacking really? What does it mean to you? That's a good question. I think uh, biohacking is any method that I would say is perhaps a bit unconventional, maybe, or not part of the mainstream that is used to improve your physical or mental performance or longevity or underlying. And we're not just, for me, it's anything really, right? Even something as simple as exercise. But I'd say there that's, for me, it's really just anything that people do to improve their health. But I guess it has more of a kind of a less mainstream connotation where it's like things that are not necessarily, your doctor is not necessarily going to recommend. And of course, the gamut from bio, for biohacking runs from very simple things that most people would be very familiar with, like you just said, exercise, or it could be breath work or yoga or taking certain herbs, mindfulness to really far out there, cutting edge technology that we now have available, whether it's uh, stem cell treatments or whether it's things such as either tools that you can do with your own body and breathing or with, with little gadgets, machines, for example, to work with your vagus nerve. And I mean, to the more far out extremes, like people who really modify their 
bodies in a sense, implanting magnets or adding certain substances to their eyes so they can see in the dark or which for most people, for the mainstream public, of course, sounds very strange, but which gets us into the whole topic of bioethics, biological freedom and such. Just out of curiosity, for yourself, what is the most, what other people would consider the most out there thing that you have done with regards to biohacking? That's a good question. I haven't done too many crazy things. I like to take a cost benefit ratio. The crazier the things that you do, the more risk and the less of a benefit that you're likely to get from it, right? The things that are most known, stuff like exercise often is just the best. There's a lot of things, the more known something is, the more likely it is going to be to help people. There, there's a area where it's less known and that's I'll deal with the middle unknown area rather than the stowing magnets or devices in my uh, body, which again, these things are, you know, sometimes people do genetic engineering on themselves. These I would say are the, they're more dangerous. They're less, it's just a cost uh, benefit ratio. It's a risk analysis. Uh, and I find that the most risky things don't have the most likely benefits. So I go with the stuff that's over the counter, more or less. I did fiddle with uh, a lot of nootropics and peptides and stuff like that. But now I tend to go with the over, mostly almost all over counter stuff. Mm. I would love for you to share with us a little bit about your background, what got you into biohacking, and also what inspired you to build self-hacked and self-decode. Sure. Growing up, I always had a lot of health issues, and I always tried to, I remember even when I was 13, I would take like sardines to school just to, because I read omega-3s are good and and so that kind of, uh, you get the idea. I always ate like whole grain instead of white bread. I was always that weird kid who ate uh, healthy stuff, even when I was like eight years old. But after eating healthy and trying out everything, I just, I still found that my body was not working the way it should be working. And I had a lot of health issues. And so I knew that something, something that I was reading about just following mainstream advice was not working for me. Just, I remember veganism was very popular. So I said, let me try that. Like a whole grain, whole food, plant-based diet. I tried that. Didn't work for me. And so I tried a lot of things that were like popular, but they didn't work for me. And uh, so, yeah, it was clear that I was a unique individual and what was working for other people wouldn't necessarily work for me. And what the mainstream told me wasn't uh, working for me either. There was a lot, it was clear. There was a lot of things they didn't know. And so I just went on this uh, self journey where I figured, okay, let me just try to figure out how my body works and what I can do to optimize it. And so self-hack was that journey where I was like, let me write articles about how the body works. Cause I was curious for myself and I thought, let's see if anyone reads this stuff. Um, and then I said, okay, being a businessman, I was like, how do I scale this? Once I saw there was some traction, so I hired scientists, right? PhDs, masters, what are you just people who knew science? And so that's how uh, self-hack took off. And then, and then I realized, okay, wait a second, no matter how much we know about the body in general, everybody's biology is unique. 
And that's where DNA comes in. And that was around the early 2010s was when around these kits were being sold for relatively cheap. And I said, okay, I don't think there's that much information out there right now on this, but I was reading studies every, every time it would come out of it. Let me get my genetics. So I got my genetics, my genetic data. And then I started reading every study I could read about how this gene does this and how this variant can cause this. And so I found that fascinating. And I realized that the future of biohacking is definitely going to depend on understanding what your biology, biological makeup and be able to tailor the treatments accordingly. Hmm. And uh, I think it's really- so that's where self-decode uh, was founded. Yes. <laughs> just to end that, yeah. Yep. No, just I, I, I forgot that people don't really know what self-decode is. The self-decode is a uh, genetics platform. It's a, per, it's a precision uh, health platform that gives recommendations based on your genetics. And it also gives uh, risk assessments based on your mm -hmm. genetics as well. And yeah, that's just the background. And so that, that's how I got into self-decode. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Joe. And I think it's really worth noting uh, your content platform, Self-Hack. Not only is there just so much information on how you can optimize yourself, but it's really based on science, on knowledge. You yourself, in the course of your own education on biohacking and how the human body works and how to optimize it, you've literally read thousands and thousands of scientific papers and studies, and the content on self-hack is actually reviewed or even written by scientists and doctors. I find it an incredible resource for anyone who's interested in self-optimizing and just getting the best out of life. And with regards to self-decode, you just explained what it is. I'd like for you to elaborate a little bit how it differs, for example, from 23andMe and other genetic testing tools that are currently available. It's a good question. I would break up the genetic tools into different categories. If we take 23andMe, one of the biggest problems with 23andMe is the limited number of topics that they talk about. And also even more important is the lack of recommendations, right? So you might know you're more likely to get freckles or something, or you're more likely to have freckles. It's just not that relevant. And if, if they're talking about a health issue, they have a few of them. They don't tell you what to do about it. It's just a copy and paste from WebMD or something like that. It's not a precision health platform, which is what self-decode is. It, it's a precision health platform that we change the recommendations according to your genetics. Now, so th that's like uh, 23Me. It's the difference between 23Me. Now, the other platforms, there's a very big problem with a lot of these platforms. One is that they don't use the most up-to-date scientific methods when mm -hmm. it comes up when it comes to risk scores, and they're using methods from the early 2010s, really, and it's been outdated for quite a while. And basically the method is you take a couple of the most important SNPs, right? And by the way, the mileage, even for this would vary a lot. Some companies do it a little better, some do it a little worse, but essentially you take the, the most important variants and you then have some algorithm that you put that through and you calculate the risk of getting something. The problem is that those variants, they only look at about a handful, maybe a dozen variants. It's very little. and you're not really able to tell a lot from that small amount of information. You can maybe tell 
you know, it's like reading a page of a book and then expecting to understand what the whole book is about. It's not to say that it's not useless, right? Maybe you want to read a page in a book of your body sometimes, but it doesn't, it's, it's more likely than not going to be wrong. You can't really tell from one page what is going on. And so individuals have about 100 million SNPs in their body. The the world population has about 100 million SNPs. And the way that you identify an SNP is any variation that is is found within people that's inherited. So a lot of uh, mutations don't get passed down. But if there's a mutation that gets passed down, that is a variant that is inherited, and that is considered a change in the population, right? Most SNPs are very common, meaning 20% of people have this, 30% have that, but there's some that are very rare. Now, the rare ones actually are the ones that have a bigger impact, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at an individual, you want to look at as many variants as possible. And the only way to look at 100 million variants is to use machine learning and AI Mm. in genomics. Genomics is just a term for genetics that is more based on probability because it's a probabilistic field. It's not like you get this gene and therefore you have this. That is genetics, old school genetics. Genomics is where you have probabilities, right? Mm. Because the system is so complex that you have to assign probabilities rather than any absolute, and it's not only your genetics as well, it's also the environment. Basically, what so what we're doing is using the most cutting edge techniques because we right now, so we follow along with what the science says and the science has identified to date 83 million SNPs. So we have that in our database now. And to look at 83 million SNPs, it's not only a scientific analysis problem, it's also a data engineering problem. And it's also a software development problem. So you have a lot of different problems that go together. And the only way to do it is to really have a capable team in each of these areas, software developers, data engineers, machine learning experts, AI and machine learning experts. And so that's what we've been doing. And unfortunately, other companies don't do that. And the reason is because it's very hard to get the right talent. And it's a it's not an easy field to operate in all the time. And so Basically, what companies do is they focus on the marketing and sometimes the UI UX. And so you have a pretty app that you might as well go to a palm reader and get a better <laughs> look funny, but it's true. What do consumers look for when they want a genetic genetic analysis program? They want accuracy and comprehensivity. They want privacy. They want, they want recommendations, right? You don't just want to know stuff and not be able to do anything. And they want a good UI. So... If So there's a lot of companies that don't have good UI UX. There's a lot of companies that are not focused on privacy, like their business model is about selling the DNA. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of companies, by the way, that operate out of Hong Kong and China. And people don't realize that. They don't tell you we're sending your DNA to Hong Kong, right? No. And Hong Kong is controlled by the Chinese government. Yes, and I'm so grateful you're bringing this up because privacy is a huge concern. What you're just, what you just mentioned, what I've also read about with this Hong Kong China connection, that takes the concern to a whole different level. At the basic privacy concern level, though, is there's companies that sell the data of their customers for drug R and D, and 
I took some genetic tests a few years ago already at the time because I had talked talk to some people who were actually ethics professors and with regards to privacy and all that. I did not use my personal email. I did not use my name. I did not use my credit card. So all of this gives me a little bit of better feeling, but still my DNA is out there. And what is more valuable? If you look, for example, our interactions on social media, we think we have a product. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, whatever. No, we are the product. The companies have us. Our data is so valuable, right? This is how they make so much money. This is how they become the highest evaluated companies on the planet. And what could be more valuable than our most intimate data, our essence, our DNA, and we give that out of our hands, the concerns are huge. In a dystopian kind of Hollywood writer scenario, the most evil kind of entity would be a company that owns a large part of the entire human population's DNA. And what you just mentioned with regards to Hong Kong and China, there is research going on how to develop certain pathogens, certain biological weapons that would affect more people uh, of a certain gene pool than others. So all of this stuff sounds super out there and super sci-fi. However, it is science fact. These kinds of menacing research is already going on. So we ought to be really careful who we give our DNA or the samples of whatever we send in to. For example, in your case, how um, does self-decode deal with privacy? So our business model is not based on selling data. It's based on what we do as a subscription to you basically give you continuous analysis as the science improves and you can cancel it at any time. But essentially, that's one of the only models that work because it is an expensive product and it is also a product that updates over time. It gets better over time. So it, you think about it as you have your raw data and then there's software that just constantly improves on the analysis of that raw data. And, and there's always new content being generated from that data. And it's just like a, you subscribe to a newspaper. It's like that. There's always new information and there's always new up-to-date methods. So it's, we, we use that kind of uh, strategy rather than selling the data, which is a completely different strategy. Yes. What I like also about your model is that you, now I have uh, not taken the test with your company yet. I'm very intrigued though. So it's uh, something I plan to do in the near future. What I really like, what I read is that self-decode focuses on different topics, like topics that are really important that I'm passionate about, like longevity, mood, sleep, and so forth. What made you put a big focus on that? Those are the topics that I was interested in. So I was just like, hey, let's. Uh, do the topics that I'm most interested in. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of, basically, self-decode is the kind of product that I would be interested in in terms of privacy and security, in terms of the topics, and then in terms of just what do I want to see in a product? So that's, and also what kind of science do I want in a product? For me, I just told the science team, like, we got to go all out here, right? There's no is we have to have the best product on the market. And every, every stage, I always told them, is this the best science we could do on the market? Is this the best product? And over time, we recruited better and better scientists to make sure that was the case. So for example, now we analyze over a million you know, variants per topic mm -hmm. rather than just a handful, right? So that's a million versus five variants. 
obviously you're going to have a lot more, uh, you're going to, you're going to have a lot more information mm -hmm. and that's also going to get more accurate over time because the way we built the system is that it can update over time automatically as it gets more user. The topics uh, that you focus on that you just said because you're passionate about them yourself. You held a speech at the Biohacker Summit and you talked about the big eight, which are unsuitable diet, sleep deficit, lack of sun, disturbed circadian rhythm, stress, lack of natural stressors, toxins, infections, and injuries. Can you talk a little bit about that and let us know why these are so important? Yeah, I think all those are extremely important for different reasons, right? They all strongly also interact with your genetic and DNA blueprint. I think a lot of times infections could be the thing that triggers some health issues. These are like triggers, right? It could be toxins that trigger, but always there's also a DNA component that kind of allows the trigger to happen because you can have two people exposed to the same toxin. And then you can have a very different impact. Just COVID is something that does get the people who are not as strong or healthy as you, you can say, but it also does, there is also a very strong genetic component to it. Whereas some people, even if they're healthy, can get badly injured from it. Whereas other people, even if they're unhealthy, might not even know they had the infection. So it's like that. There is, there's a lot, there's usually a very big genetic component into how you interact with the environment. But, but in general, getting COVID is not a good thing. Getting toxins or infections, any kind of infection really is generally not uh, more, more harmful than beneficial and toxins as well. And all kinds of, there's all kinds of basics when it comes to health, but, but individuals also uh, respond differently to these things as well. Right. And I'd like to interject really quick with regards to COVID and genetic factors. Are there any insights or any interesting studies you came across that you could uh, share with us with regards to that? Yeah, there were some studies uh, showing genetic factors in COVID. And uh, so we do know that there's a genetic component. They're still doing research, but definitely there's a genetic component when it, there's ACE2 genes, a lot of genes that have to do with how the body responds to viral infections that have to do. And so, yeah, there's genes related to, you know, the receptor that it locks onto. There's every, with every infection, there's genetic differences in the population that an individual could be more or less susceptible to infections. Yeah. Yeah. So how is your, just to go on a, a quick tangent here, or what are your expectations or hopes for how the vaccines, but with regards to treatments in the near future? For COVID? Mm -hmm. Oh, honestly, that's a good question. I don't, I haven't really been looking, I haven't really been studying that much into it, just to be very honest, because I've been more focused on self-decode. And I don't know, it's just, I, I feel like it is a very novel virus. It's, it's a pretty novel virus. I feel like there's a lot of healthy things you could do for it. It's just, it's unclear exactly what works and how much. A lot of people, there's some studies about vitamin D. I, I think, I do think it's early, but I do think that, yeah, I think there's probably a fair bit. I have done some research on it actually in the beginning. There was a fair bit of stuff that could be done. There's no clinical trials, but I think, I don't know. It's an interesting virus. Some people, they lost, they, they have long COVID. It's just very interesting. And some unhealthy people have no issues whatsoever. I don't know. Yes. It's definitely yeah. a strong genetic component. Absolutely. And just to get back to self 
decode what are actually the main or most common issues or complaints people have that use self decode? For example, are most people using it because they're constantly tired or because they have gut issues within your data? What do you find what the main uh, problems are that people seek out self decode for? It's usually uh, diverse. Some people just want to optimize or learn more about their genetics and how to improve their health, live longer, be healthier or whatever. Beyond that, there's people have a lot of different things that they're, they're some people are interested in gut, sleep, mood, inflammation. There's like uh, quite a lot of weight. Some uh, people are interested in like individual genes like MTHFR. So th it runs the gamut of topics that, that people are interested in. Yes. And do you mind sharing how taking a deep dive into genomics has actually helped yourself? Yeah. So with me, it was a very tedious process because I would look at a lot of specific genes. And, and so I did notice that I did see, I would look at it over a long period of time. I had a lot of time I could always see, and I also knew my body very well. It's not something that can easily be replicated is just looking at individual genes and SNPs because I already knew the biochemistry of how my body was working. I knew my labs. I knew where to look already. And I also was doing tons of research on it just because this is what I was doing all day. And so I figured out a lot. It was, I, I realized that the cannabinoid one receptor, the receptor that deals with cannabinoids was causing some issues. And I did research about how to fix that. And then I realized the serotonin receptors, some of them were causing issues. And then I figured out how to deal with that. So it did help me figure out like there, there was a lot of different kinds of things that, that I learned about myself, just mm -hmm. reading through a lot of my genetics. And so what we do now is we have like much more simple reports that allow you to do that without spending just barely a fraction of the time, you can get a lot more information. Mm, but yeah, I, I was able to, it, it helped me overcome my food sensitivities. It helped me just be healthier with doing less because I knew more specifically what I needed to do. Yes. And what you mentioned right now with the cannabinoid receptor and then also with the serotonin levels, I'm just uh, being guessing here, but so were you also able to optimize your mood levels or certain mental focus or relaxation due to this? Yeah. Definitely. The gene, the genetic part definitely helped my mood and helped me with inflammation. But mood was a very big one. I, mm -hmm. I was always, I looked uh, at, basically, I was able to change my regimen and get more with less. Mm -hmm. Take fewer supplements, get more, more benefits. Yeah, excellent. And from a genetic perspective, what is affecting mood so much? Because I know this is something a lot of us are dealing with. I certainly have all my life. I've spoken extensively about my experiences in living with anxiety. I know especially these last one and a half years, a lot of people have had issues with mood and mood swings. So what is affecting our mood so much genetically? Yeah, I think there's about 95% uh, of the population or more probably suffers from some mood issue or another. And there's different kinds of mood issues. So a lot of them are not the same. For example, People have OCDs of various sorts. You can have depression of various sorts, anxieties of various sorts. And these, these tend to pop up in different ways, right? And not everyone's anxieties are the same. Some people are more insecure. There's a lot of insecurities going around. Insecurity is a type of anxiety. And so everyone 
is insecure about something. That's I, I consider the type of anxiety. There's there's that. There's there's just sometimes people are annoyed a lot, or they're overly emotional. They might be sad, or they might be too stressed all the time. People who are very well balanced actually have a very big advantage in life. And for me, there were two things holding me back. And first was inflammation. Like physically, I was not doing well. Where the inflammation came from in your case? Uh, it was from food sensitivities mainly. Yeah. And so what I did there was I got rid of a lot of foods. And then I also figured out how to biohack the food sensitivities as well with like supplements and different kinds of biohacks. And so if I was able to expand my, now I'm able to expand my diet and also have, but not have the inflammation. I live a more or less a normal life now and without the negative. You, you want to be able to live as normal, uh, normal of a life as possible without the negatives. And so, yeah, I still, I don't eat grain, but I'm able to eat fruits. I'm able to eat other kinds of foods. So I eat a fair bit of fruits these days, especially in the summer. Yes, um, whereas, and you, you're in Israel right now, you're in Tel Aviv, and I know you have amazing fruits there in summer and beautiful markets that are normally open and such. Oh. Yeah, it's, they, got, they got pretty good fruit here now. Yeah, so basically the, the food sensitivities were a big one. And then I found that interesting enough, yeah, I had a lot of different kinds of mood issues in the past. And I found that after I got rid of my health issues, some of them went away. Mm -hmm. But then some of them persisted. And I, even just figuring out what your mood issues are takes time. Yes. You know, it's, it's not obvious. You don't know. Sometimes some of them come out if you're in a relationship or sometimes they come out in various different scenarios. Yeah. But basically I was, I've been mood hacking for a long time and that's been like a big thing of mine. I'd say over the past three years and had tremendous success, very significant success. And it's helped me do a lot of things, run a big business, work 70 hours, have relationships, do a lot of things that have a social life, do a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to do before. And so, yeah, I think in terms of the mood, I, I think you asked about the, what is the biochemistry there? There's different stuff. There's, I have some things with uh, MAOA. Mm -hmm. uh, Can one. you explain? Can you explain to the audience? Yeah, MAOA is this enzyme that breaks down uh, various neurotransmitters, including serotonin and uh, norepinephrine, and they work these neurotransmitters and different uh, these enzymes in different parts of the brain. And there's different kinds of these enzymes, like COMP. There's MAOA, and so they break down a lot of these neurotransmitters in different parts of the brain and that can that can increase or decrease anxiety depending on the what's going on with this enzyme. So generally MAOA inhibitors are good for depression. They can also there's also you want it to be balanced. So there's the the monoamine oxidase enzyme and then there's also serotonin transporters that basically tell you how much serotonin is in your synapses. Then there's receptors, a bunch of different receptors, the Uh, serotonin, one, two, three, seven, whatever. But basically, it's mostly one and two, the serotonin one, two receptors. And so those also dictate how serotonin gets reabsorbed and into the neurons and, and how active the serotonin neurons are. And so I have problems with a lot of the serotonin. And I really love that, for example, what your endeavor, your company offers is to look at things from a genetic level, to look at the 
also bio, bio, biohacking at the biochemical level. And like you mentioned before, there's a lot of different things that influence mood. And we, we can do a mind makeover, how much better we can function in our private lives and our business lives, finding self-actualization. And I found for myself, it's been a big focus of mine as well, that looking at it from all kinds of different angles, food sensitivities, inflammation, what's happening in the brain, how, what is my predisposition genetically, what can I change epigenetically, how have I been raised, certain things, how we grew up and uh, certain thought patterns that have been imprinted on us, whether it's by parents or cultural social conditioning, that of course can also vastly affect our mood, our self feeling of self-worth. So looking at it from all these different angles and also looking at therapeutic talk therapy or looking at things, uh, something that I've just in the, just recently found enormously effective, like right from the get-go, ketamine treatments to reset anxiety level, depression, the way you frame certain experiences that you've had. So we're right now living at a time where with all these tools and resources, at our disposal that can really help us heal, heal our whole system, our body, our brain, our, our spirit, soul, whatever you wish to call it. Something else that you really have a big focus on is fatigue. And I know that's affecting a lot of people. You've spoken about it. You've, in, in your words, what is the root cause of fatigue, Joe? So there's uh, two things that have to do with fatigue. Uh, one is inflammation. Hmm. And I'd say actually probably three big things. Inflammation, not good quality sleep. And then, so there's, uh, I, I, let's see, there's inflammation, not getting good quality sleep. And so inflammation can also, could be caused by a number of different things, by the way. There could be, could be, it could be somebody has cancer and they're fatigued and they're just getting inflammation from that. It could be they're overweight and they're fatigued. They, you know, it could be their diet is causing them to be fatigued. So there's a lot of different things that could cause inflammation, which will cause fatigue. And then and there's different kinds of problems with sleep that could cause fatigue. It could be not having a good rhythm, but usually some kind of problem, not getting deep sleep or REM sleep or some kind of sleep quality issue. Uh, or not getting enough sleep. That's the most obvious one. So yeah, sleep is, uh, you don't want to, you need to make sure uh, you're getting sleep and, and you need to, if you're having inflammation, you need to address any possible sources of inflammation. And so for me, that inflammation was coming from foods. Now, mental health is probably one of the biggest reasons as well. That's the third one where basically you know, people are constantly carrying these kinds of different mental health burdens, if you will. And that can make you tired. It's one of the one of the easiest things to make you tired. And I think that something like meditation could pause that. And for some people, meditation gives them energy, right? Because if you can pause that for a bit, then that could rejuvenate. So I think people are carrying, people are thinking all the time about things, people are nervous about things, people are just all these kinds of anxieties and mental health issues that can <clears throat> make someone tired. Yes. Those are the three things. Yeah. Uh, also with regards to, there's obviously a lot of things we can do to counteract 
fatigue, what is the most important neurotransmitter in the brain for energy? That's a good question. So I think to counteract fatigue in terms of neurotransmitters, that would be dopamine and norepinephrine. Those are kind of short-term fixes. I think in the long term, you need to make sure your mitochondria is working well. Basically, you need to make sure that you're not getting inflammation from things. It's like addressing inflammation. But a lot of, let's say for, they find when they do studies on variants for fatigue, it's all, it, it's often related to variants that have to do with also mental health. Even chronic fatigue syndrome, it's often uh, a lot of people with these kinds of like con- chronic fatigue syndrome also have underlying levels of mental health issues. And that kind of after a while, that could just be crash, right? You're not able to yeah, I mean, able to handle yeah. it. Mental health issues, whatever you may be dealing with, if you are, it just zaps your energy, as does on a physical level inflammation. It just zaps your energy. It keeps everything from functioning optimally. And it's just this vicious cycle. So for somebody who, let's say, who with regards to this, just epigenetics, nurture, nature, genetically has not been dealt the best hand, how can they support themselves in the best way? What would be a good way to start to break this cycle of fatigue? How would you start if you were dealing with this right now? What would be the first steps you would take to tackle this from all the different ways that you need to tackle this holistically? There's two approaches. It's the approaches I took. Number one is you want to try to get as much data as possible from lab tests, genetics. I would say those are good investments. Just genetics is probably the best investment just because you get it once and you always have that data. But basically getting data is important. Same in any in a business or in any kind of situation. Before you make decisions, you want data, and the best data is about yourself in this case. So data is very important. Once you have data, you want to try to see where do you have any other do you have any inflammatory issues that you're dealing with. If not, you have any sleep issues. If not, you have any mental health issues. So it's going to be one of the three, almost always. It's got to be. And so you just you start off with those three. And then you see which is the is going to be the most uh, important. Now, the thing is that they can all contribute to the other in some way. But there there is usually one bigger one that is having an impact on the other one. Yep. It's important to address them all. And uh, yeah, like the uh, kind of roadmap you laid out here. I want to get into another topic because what really fascinated me about you is you went from your own passion, uh, the optimizing yourself and healing yourself, where biohacking has not just been something that you pursued passionately for yourself, but it really became a calling. And you built this content empire. Self-hack alone, you have millions of readers, and you've really built an entire business, an entire ecosystem around your passion. It's become a very serious, and very respected business. What is your main business philosophy or mantra? If you have one, would you share that with us? It's a good question. Building a business. So first of all, I think you need to work really hard to build a business, a successful business. Sometimes people get lucky and they don't have to work hard, but most, but if you don't want luck, if you want to create your success without luck, I think you need to work very hard, right? Meaning to win the lottery, you don't need luck. And there's lesser forms of luck that you don't need to work hard. There's lesser forms of things. On the one hand, there's winning the lottery. And on the other hand, is just working super hard for 
while. Depends what industry you also get in, but so working very hard, I think is a big one. Then you also have to identify your strengths, knowing what you're good at, and you have to partner with people who fill in those gaps. I'd say that's a very important one. Most people are not good at everything and you got to fill in those gaps. So I think that's, that's number two. And then number three would be finding the right team because I don't know, honestly, getting into self-decode, I was missing a lot of information. I knew a lot of the science, but even so, I was still missing a lot. And I knew that I had to find the right team. And so I, I spend most of my time actually just looking for the right team. Mm. And mm. Uh, it's the hardest in the beginning, but once you get the core, then it gets a little easier and then a little easier. So getting the team becomes easier over time. But in the beginning, it is the hardest. But getting self-decode happens to be a very difficult company, right? It's much easier than, than self-hack because you really have to have somebody, a technical leader in the software development who knows who's a real wizard. You need a chief science officer who's a real wizard. Everybody in the company really has to be incredible at what they do or else it wouldn't function well. And I spend a lot of time building out the team and you know, making sure the team works well. Mm-hmm. And um, you so know, was- just as one individual, it's, there's only so much you could do. So you have oh, cool. to have a team of people. Yes, what you said, you need to find people to fill the gap. And the most um, important and sometimes also most difficult thing, as you said, is building that team. So I'd like to learn a little bit more from you when you go about to add new members to your team, or especially in the phase where you're building the new team, what kind of tools or resources did you use? Did you work with headhunters? How did you find the right people? And how did you, before you hire them, predict the performance of a potential candidate or employee? That's a really good question. Actually, this has been my hobby for five years, is doing exactly that. Because Wait, what I, has been your hobby? Predicting performance. Ah, okay. Yeah, and the reason is because when I first started hiring people for self-hack, much easier business. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the easiest, but relatively self-decode. Self-decode is probably one of the hardest businesses in software. I Probably Tesla is a lot harder, but building like a car company. But for a software business, self-decode is extremely difficult. But when I was just, even just hiring people for self-hack, I found, it was like, whoa, how to, like, how do you know who's good? And so I just, take on 50 people, give 50 people test tasks and see who did well, but it would take so much time. And I was just like exhausted. So over time, I just started putting people through a battery of cognitive tests. It's just the ones that I formulated, basically the ones, ones I formulated. And I would give somebody, I would give somebody one test and like someone really good, I would give a test see how they did and somebody who I tried out that was really bad. And then I basically just keep on giving everybody I hired tests. And it started to become clear that there were patterns forming. And so over time, over the last five years, I've been giving people cognitive tests and seeing the performance based on each role. And and also I built a, a whole internal system for it, software that basically automates the whole process. So for example, in the last hiring round, we had maybe 20,000 applicants and we picked the best 
50 people in two months. And I was the only one doing HR, me and an assistant. Wow. That's a business yeah. in itself. What you just mentioned here and the software you yep. built, I, I can tell you, I would be one of the first people say, yes, I want to use this. I want to purchase this. And I know there's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people out there who would love something like that, that would automate such a complex process. That's also super time consuming. When you're building a company, yep. leading, leading a company, you can't spend 80% of your time trying to assess you have to, but it's really different. I would agree. And actually, it's something that I want. I've been wanting to commercialize it for five years. Mm -hmm. I've just been focused on self-decoder is always my number one priority. But this was like an interesting test case. See, basically, we got some of the most incredible people mm -hmm. from these 50 people. These are not jokes. These are yeah. serious people. Yeah. And so, um, the, so the test was, can I myself with an HR assistant, the HR assistant mainly just put the ads out mm -hmm. and some assistant work mainly. Yeah. Uh, can I myself go through 20,000 applicants in a way and pick out the best 50, maybe 15,000, I'm not sure exactly, but it was a lot. And mm -hmm. can I pick out the best 50? And I was able to do that. Yeah. Like it was, we got incredible people. Incredible. Amazing. And so just for the first step, so where would you put out the ads actually? Because in, in your case, of course, it's uh... everywhere, everywhere. We put them out everywhere. So we blitzed. It was LinkedIn. We paid for Stack Overflow. We paid for, and we need a lot of different positions. We yeah. hired five machine learning and AI experts, data scientists. It was, I mean, we got some really good freaking people, really good, brilliant people. But we got a bunch of data engineers, full stack developers, back end, front end. We got we got a genomic scientists, bioinformaticians. We got science writers, operations, executive assistant. We got a lot of different positions. We hired some marketing as well. Yeah, there's still some things. Basically, the way that the, the thing that I needed was a system to hire to be able to hire for almost any role in a very quick way without spending so much time. And it turned out to be extremely effective. I, I know it's been effective for two years already, but it just constantly goes through tweaks here and there. And But uh, I'm going to be building a uh, new system that is, is for other people. When I build it, you can use it. Yes, please. <laughs> so another it's, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible. I wouldn't, yeah. uh, self-decode wouldn't be around without it, to be honest. Yeah, very cool. And another issue is, for example, self-hack also, of course, relies on very high quality content. How do you actually find writers for the high quality content and how do you pay them? Through the ads. We uh, put out ads. We put them through the cognitive tests and every test that we give them, there's a threshold. If you don't pass, you get knocked out. So it's basically people who make it to the end, they get, they get through. And one part of the process, so there's a, so the way that it's so efficient, it's a very interesting uh, method that I came up with. The roles, uh, we actually don't, the, the whole process is only one interview mm -hmm. and it's just done by me. So. Basically, before I interview somebody, they go through usually about uh, anywhere between three and 10 hours of the interview process, basically until I know that somebody's a good fit. Mm -hmm. So first they take the test 
and that could vary in length. And then they, I look at the resume, if they're super, if it's like a super good fit from the resume, then I, often I'll, it depends on the position also, but let's say for a developer, we just give them the, uh, a coding challenge straight away without even interviewing them still. And so they'll do the coding challenge. And, and then I look at the coding challenge. If the coding challenge is good, then I give them a, another questionnaire that relies on their personality and how good of a fit they are for the company and their previous experiences. And that also, I read that and I could knock somebody out. Some, I could see if, if they're a good fit. And so if they usually I'll do that and then I do the interview at the same time. So I just do, usually it's about a 45 minute interview. And if I need more people, we bring on multiple people on the same interview. For the data scientists, I needed our CTO. So it would just be me and him. And then we would we'd make a decision right, at, right then and there because we have all the information. Basically, we, we have it so that after the interview, all the information is done. The interview, we mainly, it's some of it's like a negotiation on salary. But basically, it's just anyone I interview is basically good. It's 80% chance of being yeah. hired because I already have yeah. all the information beforehand. Yeah. Anyone you interview is already considered a viable candidate. The interview is not the tool More to determine less. it. It's just to confirm the finding. Correct. There are some things. Sometimes there's red flags that you want to clarify in an interview or something like that. And so sometimes it does disqualify, but you're right. 80% of the time it's more is, is just to make sure someone's a good fit. Yeah. And with regard, uh, one last question with, for in the business realm, how did you discover who your target audience is and how to reach them? That's a really good question. I can see a lot about business. Have you been reading a lot about business? I've been reading a lot. I am involved partially also in some of the businesses of my husband's and life sciences. And I'm also working on building my own brand. So yeah, when I have someone, I have the, the privilege to talk to somebody as yourself who's been there and done that and done it in such a great way. I am like, I want to know what he knows, at least a little bit. Yeah, you're asking very good questions because these are the most relevant questions in the business. How do you hire? How do you, how do you find your, your target audience? Honestly, it's very, it's, that's something I'm still trying to figure out. I don't, I, don't, I think uh, your target audience often comes to you, but you, you could do surveys, number one. You have to talk to your customer. You have to see who who is this product, who would like this product. You try to market it to them, and then you just have to talk to your customers. Once yep. you have customers, you can see who your customer is. You talk to them on the phone. I actually want to get on calls more with customers who self-decode. Mm -hmm. See, hey, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Learn about them and see what we can improve. See, also, it could also help target and yeah. marketing. Yeah, you get the information firsthand and your customer will feel like they're really cared for, heard and seen. That's just a, a deeply win -win. Human, deep human desire. So it just spawns you with a customer in so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And Joe, I would like to know from you, especially since biohacking is your life, what are some of the practices that you use on a regular basis that really turned your life around in a fantastic way, whether it's mentally, physically, or spiritually? That's a good question. I can't say like very specific things. I do a lot of stuff, but I'd say taking care of my mental health was probably the biggest, my mental health and getting rid of my inflammation were the biggest impacts in my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's See, awesome. if you if you can find the source of your information, for some people, they might it might just be like learn how to be healthy. But if you can learn your kryptonites, if you will, I think that <laughs> is the, the biggest thing. So learning, because everyone has a different type of kryptonite, even people with food sensitivities. Yeah. There's different things that could cause the, the you know, they some people might not be able to eat peanuts and some people might not be able to eat some random fruit or whatever. I don't know. Learning what it is that causes the inflammation mm-hmm. is very important. Learning what your kryptonite is. And, and honestly, that's where the promise of genetics is. It teaches you about yourself more. And from that, you can learn what your kryptonite is, what you need to be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. That's why I'm so excited about this field is because it has so much potential in terms of telling us what our kryptonite is, telling us what, what, and the, I don't know what the opposite of kryptonite would be, your super food stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it would be the opposite word of a kryptonite. <laughs> maybe if we use a term from Hindu religion, maybe it's amritsa, or maybe if we use something more from the European traditions, mana, food from the gods, something. Mana, like yeah, yeah. What's your mana? And yeah. uh, what you got to find out what your man is, man is and what your kryptonite is. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, there's that. And yeah, I think, and I guess improving your mood. You, mm-hmm. And that's also learning about yourself, learning about what your neurochemistry is. Oh. What are your genes that are related to mental health? What are the precision health recommendations? It's, um, I think it's a very good investment because, again, your health, your mental health. I don't think there's anything more important in this world than that. Agreed 100%. And, and I love that. Yeah, learn your kryptonite, learn your mana. And Joe, people who want to learn more about you and find you, where can they do? They can, my, my life these days is self decode. They can go to self decode. I am on Instagram as well, but they can follow me on Instagram, Mr. Biohacker. But self decode is where I'm at. <laughs> cool. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. Uh, Joe, it's been really great to talk with you, learned a lot. Uh, about genetics, biohacking, and also business. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.